hey, I need to get something off my chest, and uh, unfortunately for you, I have the stage. So, how many of you already have your Christmas decorations up? Can I continue this? Yeah. Both hands up in the air. You know, there is this thing called Thanksgiving. I, I feel like Thanksgiving has turned into Father's Day. You know? Meaning that we have to work every day? Yes. That is, that is every day. Um, I'm starting a campaign. It's called Make Thanksgiving Great Again. It's going to be huge. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a really big deal. Probably, maybe will happen. Probably, maybe. Not sure when. But it's going to be a big deal. All right? And if you follow John, he even made you a pretty video for his trash can turkey. That's right. Which, by the way, I, I make fun of it. It's pretty awesome. That's right. Nor can I duplicate it. I've tried. So let's make Thanksgiving great again, okay? Can we? And if you come to my house and you see that there are already three trees lit up in my room, realize that I don't get to push these things onto my wife. Okay? She, she makes her own decisions without me. But after Thanksgiving, it's, yes, Christmas. Here we go, right? But until then, let's just be thankful that we have Thanksgiving, okay? All right. That's the PSA. Let's scratch that start over for the video for the YouTubes. Done. Hey, my name is Jeremy Sides. Welcome to Carolina Family Church. Uh, I mean, I am the worship director here, and... I get the great opportunity to start in Romans 6. And it's kind of a, it's a shift from what we've been doing. Romans 6 is almost, it's a, it's a turn. It's almost an intro into 6, 7, and 8. Right? We've learned all these things. We've learned that we are terrible people. Right? We get lots of bad news. Lots of bad news. And then we got to some justification and not to follow the law and grace, all that stuff. Listen, it's all online. Go back and look at it if you missed any of it. There's a lot of stuff. We're in, this is number 10 of 1,000, okay? So we're going to continue today. And this section, 1 through 11, which is what we're going to focus on today, Romans 6, 1 through 11. By the way, John wanted me to note that he gave me a reasonable amount of Scripture this time, not 35 verses, Okay? So we'll see what happens. But this section kind of intros what's to come. All right, we've done all this stuff. We've figured out everything you're saying. We're into it. But what now? What do we do now? How do we live like that? How do we take all the stuff you've told us and apply it? And that's where Paul is going. And I, I have really struggled with this message more than I've struggled with any of them before, probably because... I have such a heart for this message. It, I have a passion for what is I'm going to tell you, and I have a hard time getting past verses 1 and 2 because I just want to talk all about that. So I'm going to try to move as fast as I can today. But this section is all about how we live as a Christian in this world, live our best life. How do we live the best way we possibly can? 
And I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we live kind of a mediocre life because we see it as these rules and these things that we have to follow that keep us from doing things that we want to do. And that's not what God intended at all. That's not what Christ intended at all. He intended for this to be the best life, for what we do here to be amazing and wonderful. And we get so bogged down with all the things of the world and we let that sin light come back on us that we forget that. This is supposed to be the best, what we do here. Not that it won't be hard, but the payoff here and there will be amazing. And I think we forget that sometimes. And I, this is a little side note. I try to teach you guys something about me uh, every time I'm up here. And I don't know if you knew this, but I used to be a vegetarian. Did you know that? When I was 24, uh, I went back to school. I was going back to seminary. And we had books, which are these things, right? Because I'm old. They didn't give us laptops and iPads. <laughs> So I had a book, and I was sitting in class, and I was looking at this book, and I was uh, reading the words, and they all of a sudden started coming off of the page. Like, the words literally were floating off of the page. And I looked up, and the teacher who was talking started to get further away from me. And it, something it was really weird. Something was going on, right? And I wasn't on anything. Okay, this is seminary. Okay, I wasn't on anything but Jesus. Okay, that's that's all I had. And my right hand started going numb, and then I went blind in my right eye. And I did what any normal person would do. I called my mama. I said, "Mom, what is happening to me?" And I told her, "Not a stroke." <laughs> Thank you. She said, what have you eaten today? I said, well, I had a whole bag of Doritos. <laughs> she said, okay, well, you know what's in Doritos? And I said, what? She said, MSG. Okay, what is that? I said, it sounds make so good. That's what it sounds like. That's <laughs> what's in those chips, man, make so good. And apparently our family has a problem with MSG. We, have a, we don't have a tolerance for it. My sister and my mom get migraines all the time. I have to really watch it. And I had maybe developed that. I'm not really sure. But come to find out, I started get, having that problem more often. So I started kind of taking things out of my diet. And it turns out that the only way I could get it to stop was to cut out meat. And that was probably because I was eating the, ter the most terrible meat on the planet. Okay. <laughs> I was going to Arby's and, you know, all this stuff all the time. Um, I was your typical, I like Arby's, by the way. Their turkey ranch sandwich is fantastic. But, I, I mean, I couldn't afford to eat. They were like, well, you could try eating, you know, healthy, like free range. It's like, yeah, maybe you go to Whole Foods lately? I'm a college kid. I'm living. By myself. I mean, I'm paying here all this stuff, right? I can't do that. So I just cut it out, and it went away. So for 10 years, I was a vegetarian. And then I met Monica. And I'll never forget, uh, who was not a vegetarian, by the way. She's keto. And that is the, is the total opposite of a vegetarian. 
So we went to, our first year anniversary, we went, we went to the Charleston Grill. We went to Charleston on our anniversary, and I said, you know what, we're going to eat somewhere nice. Uh, we don't do that very often. And we went to Charleston Grill, and she ordered a pork chop. When the waiter said, hey, how would you like that cooked? And I said, huh? Like, he said, yeah, it's like Wagyu beef pork chop. I said, you can do that? Like, yeah, I'm used to the ones my mom used to take a Coke bottle and smash out when we were young. You know, the ones like this thin? That's what I was used to with pork chops. And my wife said, I'll take that. Medium rare. Okay, medium rare pork chop. And I got some kind of vegetable salad or something. It's fantastic. Saved me on some money, probably. <laughs> and uh, she gets the pork chop. And it was a $100 pork chop. I said, that pork chop better be good. Because he said, you want to taste it? And I said, yeah, let me, just give me, just, just shave off a little piece. And I put it in my mouth, and it sat there for about 15 minutes. And I just let it just go into the, just let the saliva take it into Because it's not that I don't like meat. It's that it was making me sick. So I would cut it out. And I sat there, and it just, I just let it. She said, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm focused. Watch. Mm. It's so good. Like, I've totally forgotten what this tastes like. And two weeks later, I'll do Chick-fil-A every day. <laughs> okay. That's a very bad way to describe that there is things in life that make it better. Okay? Food is one of those things. I love food. Welcome to Thanksgiving. I'm going to come to all of your houses and try all of your turkey. So invite me. Okay? And then I'll take the best one and I'll grade it. That'll be part of the campaign for make Thanksgiving great again. Make sure you're all on board. But there are things in life that make it better. And that's what Romans 6, 1 through 11 is all about. It's about how to build, how to live a better life. What this life in Christ looks like. And how you take that and apply it to your life to make your life better. How you live the best life in this new environment where we're saved by grace. How do you take what Paul is saying? How do you take this God life and live better? So if you guys want to turn to Romans 6, you have Bibles. If you don't, you can go to the version app. Um, we'll get there in just a second. I'll give you a, a minute to pull that up. And uh, you can take some notes and read along with us. Um, I, I will tell you, I felt a little bad uh, the last time. The last two times I've preached, I... I had a bag on my history just a little bit, like my background. And uh, nobody said anything to me. just felt like I needed to, to say some stuff about it because it's, it wasn't, there was some, a lot of good things. Um, I grew up in a Baptist church right down the road. And it was amazing. The people that were amazing, everybody loved you. Uh, it was kind of like this family-oriented feel. Everybody knew everybody. We had a youth group that had anywhere from 10 to 30 at it at any given time, and we would learn a lesson and eat a snack and go play in the gym. All right, that was kind of the vibe. And it, it was very Baptist, if you've ever been. It was, a, it was a Baptist church. And when I was 15, uh, I had started going to First Assembly in Concord. And somebody invited me to the youth group. And I came home and asked my dad, 
and said, hey, can I go to this youth group? Uh, it's First Assembly. And he said, and I, you know, my dad was like, my dad was Baptist. Okay. And we were there when the doors were open. And I, I was always there, but I don't know if I had shown any, like, energy towards it. And I think he saw that I, me asking him if I could go to a youth group. And he was like, yeah, man, I think you, I think you should go check it out. So I walked in. I think there was 350 people there that night. They had, like, the room split. There was an arcade and coffee bar over here and a rock band and something in there. And I walked in, and my eyes just were like, oh, my goodness. And I tell you what, I began to, to learn and experience through that is that I was missing something. And it wasn't the people, it wasn't the music, although it was great, and it wasn't the light show, it wasn't the speaker, and it, it, it was a little bit of community, that there was more to this than there was more people out there that had this feeling, the same desire that I had to know God more, but they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I saw things that just changed my life. Because the church I was in really stopped that salvation. Right? They didn't get into spiritual gifts and really spirit at all. They didn't even teach them. They, they taught once you were saved, you're always saved, and just live your life and be good. Be a good person. And I found out that there's more to it. There's more to it than that. There's a Holy Spirit that is powerful. And he wants you to live the best life you possibly can in it. And from then on, I started learning more about that. That's why I went to seminary. Was a somebody's got a seminary? I told you that. And I started. The thing is that no place is perfect. All right. And I have been fortunate enough to be all over the place and see all kinds of things. And what challenged me was to figure out exactly what I believed and exactly what God was trying to show me through all these things. And that's why I'm standing up here. Because I believe we do it right. And we do it very well. And I, every time somebody asks me what church I go to, and they say, what's your denomination? I say, we just believe the Bible. So well, what do you, what's your background? The Bible. <laughs> like what, what, do, what would you say your closest to denomination wise? What's the Bible? I don't know. Is that a denomination? <laughs> like, just come figure it out. We preach the Bible. It's not in the Bible. We don't teach it. And there's lots of Holy Spirit in this book. And we can apply it to our life. All right. So let's get started. Romans 6, 1 to 2. What shall we say to them? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Back to the same thing I preached on three weeks ago. Romans 5.20. Should we keep sinning so that grace can be shown even more? If this is the case, if you haven't gotten it yet, right? If your grace is shown because we sin, why would we not continue to sin so that your grace can be shown? And I think in here we probably think that's a little bit crazy. I said that last time. I don't think that's us. We don't fit in that box. 
But there's variations of that that I think we fit into very well. And we're in this culture that doesn't like any rules. Nobody wants to be told what to do. And they look at religion as rules. And they want to be free of that. They see us as people who have to follow something that doesn't allow them to do the things they want to do, so they don't see that as freedom. And that's not freedom. Living in a world with no rules is not freedom. And that's not God's design. God gives us freedom inside his design. He gives us the liberty to live the life that he originally intended us to live. And there are rules in it. But that doesn't mean that we're not free. We're free to make that choice. We can choose whatever we want. But I, I look at it as like a parent. Right? You're, you want your kids to be free and do what they want to do, but you have to set rules to keep them alive. <laughs> you have to set rules that they follow to make them better to give them an opportunity to be the best people they can be. That's what God does for us. He is a loving father. He loves us enough to set boundaries so that we can live the way we ought to live inside those boundaries, and we are free. And the fence is huge. That didn't, I didn't do it on purpose, by the way. Sorry, that was a, I didn't do it. A huge thing on purpose. That was not a continuation of my campaign. I saw, I heard a snicker, and I was like, I should have been a laugh. What was that? Uh... He gives us boundaries, and people don't like that. And you see what's happening out there today because of that. The cult, our culture is is crashing. It's crashing apart because people left to their own devices in a world with no rules. Go down. We want to say all the time, you do you. I hate that. <laughs> Not a, what you do is stupid. <laughs> Seriously. You're just going to let them do whatever they want in the context of you're free and you can do it, but what if it's dumb? What if it hurts them? What if it's not good for their growth? There has to be rules and boundaries to give us the best life we can have. So we can't keep sinning so that grace will abound. That's not the right attitude to have either. And what is exciting or should be exciting to us that in this moment, when the culture is, man, it is crashing hard all around us, that we could be a light, a beacon someone that they can look up to and say, why does that guy live in like that? What makes him, why is he smiling all the time? It's annoying. Why is he so happy? It's only annoying to people that aren't happy. We, we should be the first one they go to because they know we are different. Amen. Because they know we have something they don't that makes us live a better life. They should want it. And when they crash, they won't come looking for it. But here's the problem. We're living mediocre. Because we may not take this verse 1 to 2 to the extreme. 
We may not take it all the way to where they're taking it, but we do live in it a little bit. Because we settle for things in our life. We settle for sin in our life under the excuse that that's just me. It's not that bad. That's the way God made me. So I just deal with it. We, because, I, because I have grace. There is grace for this. So I'll just live in it a little bit and we'll all be okay. And whether that's something extreme, like drugs or alcoholism or anger or anything like that, anything, any emotion, anything that people can outright see or that's something secret. That you can say, I'll deal with this later or this is just the way I am. God has saved me. There's grace for it, but I'm going to live it. And it brings you down. And it changes you. And it doesn't allow you to live the best lifestyle you can in God. It makes living as a Christian, ugh. It doesn't excite you when you wake up in the morning because you're dealing with sin that you shouldn't be dealing with. Because you were saved. And when someone comes looking for somebody that is transformed and changed, they don't find them. They find hypocrites that are judgmental and safe they're changed and live the same lifestyle they do. And then they say, why would I want that? Why would I want to live in a new set of rules and be the same person I am right now? And the church in America has an issue. Because we're not transforming, we're being transformed the wrong way. Instead of standing up for what we believe, we're allowing people and saying, you do you, we'll change for that. We'll bend the rules for that. We'll take offense and move it out. And it's dangerous. And it's hurting our character. So in verse 2, when he says, certainly not, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It's exactly that. How can we still live in the sin that we died, that he, we died to? Why are we still living in it? Why are we still messing with it? So much so that we celebrate. You ever talk to somebody who's a Christian now and you're like, man, yeah, I used to party. I used to party hard. I was, I did it. I did it all. And they celebrate. Like the person they used to be was better than the person they are now. They had more fun as the person they used to be. That's not the way it is and that shouldn't be the way. It should be happy and glad that you were saved from that. Because it was killing you. And that's what's coming up. That's why I'm so excited about turning the page to 6, 7, and 8. Because it tells us how to live a lifestyle that makes us live our best life. And it's exciting. But we've got to get there first. And I told you I could spend all day on 1 and 2, and I have. So, let's move on. 
Verse 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So here's what happens. We talked about the what. We talked, this is going to be the why, and then we're going to talk about the how we do it. Paul brings up something that they would have known very well. He talks about baptism. Because they did it all the time. It was one of the, so they, uh, communion, which we did last week, and baptism were the two things that were set for them to do. It was part of the church. It was ingrained in them. And this image of you going down into the water and coming out, a physical baptism, is what he's describing here, but he applies it to the spiritual baptism that we have. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we understand exactly what happened on the cross, the death and then the resurrection, that is how we get out. That is why we don't live in the sin anymore. And I had I had an illustrate I had some way to illustrate this. Um, you got, can you guys help me? I had I had something I was gonna do if they can get it out here. Um, John's been drawing stuff, so <laughs> I figured you know, not that I want to one up him or anything, but. I can draw too. <laughs> Thanks, Tony and Aaron. Look at this. Now we're in classroom. Old school chalkboard. Yay! I found this in the hall. And I was like, okay, I can use this. So I'm going to draw on it. And my wife said, You're going to draw? Yeah, she said, They won't be able to read it. I said, okay, that's fine. I'm still going to draw on it. But this picture of death and resurrection is how we and why we get to live this best life. The resurrection is the key to this. If there was no resurrection, there is nothing. We have nothing. Jesus came, lived the life, died just like the rest of us. But the resurrection is why. It's the key. And understanding that is how you get to live your best life. Understanding that we went through that baptism with him. And the next verses explain how we, if we believe in him, we are part of that death and resurrection with him, given the Holy Spirit to live that best life. So let's look at verse five. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. That's a lot. Now, what did I just say? By the way, uh, at the end of verse, at the end of verse four, where it says "walk in newness of life," that is a big deal, and I don't have time to flush all that out. 
And I know that groups have stopped, but there is still a study guide. John is putting it out. And he goes into great detail on that newness of life. He actually sent me, this is where, you, you know, he only gave me 11, script, 11 verses. But then he sent me a note and said, hey, by the way, you can talk about these 30 if you'd like. <laughs> Probably not going to do that. But it's a big deal. That newness of life is key, right? It's a, it's a key to this. And I want to challenge you to study it in your own time. Don't let that, just don't just let that go. This is the key to everything that we, that we learn from here on out. Walking in the newness of life. Leaving all that old stuff behind. And how we walk in that newness of life. And the newness of life is what gives us the ability to live in the Holy Spirit and live this life. That should be fun and happy and joyful. All right, so let me, I'm going to draw some stuff. Maybe. We'll see what happens. So in that, we learn, can you guys see what that says? Yeah. Good job. Can you read that? There you go. <laughs> this is the first time I've done this. All right. And there's this. There you go. Just like that. It is. That's why we use laptops and stuff now, isn't it? Okay. So, what we learn is that we are alive to this before we know Christ. In this. Because if we are dead to sin once we know him, and we are alive in God, alive in Christ, before we know him, we are alive in sin. And can I just tell you if that's where you're at? Why? If that's where you're at, we breeze through that because we think that sometimes, you know, everybody in here knows God, but that might not be the case. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about today, you have no idea what a life filled with the Holy Spirit that's guiding you to live the best life you possibly can inside of boundaries that give you the freedom to live that way. Don't walk out of here without asking me what I'm talking about. Because if you are alive to this and something happens to you, I can't even imagine. We talked about this in group, which is such a good thing the other day. That... It's not, you know, it's not the torment. It's not what the Bible talks about, the pain and the weeping and gnashing of teeth and the fire and all that stuff, because we can identify with physical pain. That's something we can identify very well with. So when we hear that, it's scary, but we can identify with it because we've all experienced some type of pain. What hell is this absence of God? And that scares me to death. It's a, the absence of hope, the absence of peace, the absence of joy, the absence of all the things that make our life worth living is the eternity with the absence of all of that. And if that is you, man, fix it. Don't walk out of here without fixing it. So here's what happens. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are then dead to this and alive in, in God, alive in Christ. All right, alive. About that. You are alive to God. And now you're on 
this path because of that. That cuts you off from this. You no longer have to deal with this because of the grace of the cross and the resurrection. You now are living here. Whether you're here or here or here or here, wherever, you're on this line somewhere. And sometimes we might step backward and sometimes we might leap forward but we're still on the line. But what happens is that somewhere along the line, we take this back over. Maybe we have a feeling that there's no way God can save me because of how terrible I am. Maybe you fall back into old habits. Maybe you're living in some of that sin, playing it off as, hey, that's just me. And what it creates is a spiritual zombie. Somebody who is alive but dead. And you live down here instead of living up here. And if you're dealing with something and it's got a hold of you and you can't shake it and you think it's not messing you up, it's messing you up. It messes with everything in your life. It messes with your relationships. It messes with your kids' lives. It messes with your ability to function as a father, as a son, as a mother, as a wife. You might not be able to see it, but I guarantee you the other people around you do. Because what gives you the ability to live up here is this. And this took that away. But we still carry this on our shoulders for some reason. We were dead to it. And the reason is because in this verse, in this chapter, death and dead does not mean gone. It means separated. We are separated from it. But it's still hanging out. It still brings in temptation. All those things we used to deal with. It's still there. It's still like, hey man, come on. And if your attitude about it is that those were the best times of my life, you're going to fall back into it when it comes and knocks on the door. And you don't remember all the times that it left you depressed. All the times that it left you angry. All the times that it left you hurt and alone. You just remember the high, the good moments. And when you get low, it comes back knocking on the door. And if you haven't done enough up here, which we'll talk about in a minute, it will bring you back down here. And this is where nobody wants to be. And this is where when everyone looks at the church and they see a bunch of people who are down here, they don't want to have anything to do with it. Because we're living the same lifestyle they are. We're just not having any fun doing it. Because we are now, now we have the Holy Spirit telling us that we're doing something wrong, so we feel guilty about it, but keep doing it. And they don't have that. But let me tell you something. If you're doing something and the Holy Spirit's telling you to stop, that's a good thing. 
That is a great thing. Because it means you're a child of God. And it means he's working. What's scary is when you're saved and you know Christ and you're doing something wrong and he's not talking to you anymore. Because you're down here so much that you have numbed the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you're there, man, you've got to get back up here. You've got to get back up here. To this abundant life. To a life full of all the things that God has for you, which is none of this. It's none of this stuff. And I, I, so John challenges me. Every time we do this, John challenges me to like, if I'm going to talk about something bad, I have to tell you something that I know with is bad. Because people identify with people when they, you know, say a little something bad about themselves. It makes you feel more vulnerable. Well, I don't like doing that because it makes me look vulnerable. And it makes me look weak. And one of my biggest fears is that I will stand up here and you'll look up here and say, why would I listen to this guy? He's just like me. Guess what? I'm just like you. I'm just going to tell you. I might have a couple years of seminary under my belt, but I'm just like you. I deal with this down here. And I try to stay up here, but I still struggle. And it might look like something different for you. But for me, I will tell you exactly what it is. And I know it, and I work on it, and it. And the Holy Spirit is really working on me, which is how I know I'm a child of God because I feel guilty about it all the time. Because he is constantly talking to me. I tend to, I'll omit truths. You can call it a lie. That's fine. But if I know I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings because I hate hurting people's feelings, and I don't want them to look at me as anything other than their friend and Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Happy, and Mr. Smiley. If I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings, and there's a way that I can tell them what I think is the truth by admitting something that they may or may not need to hear, I will tell them that instead of the whole thing. And where it gets me in big trouble is with mine. Because <laughs> sometimes I will tell her the truth in my head omitting something that I think is super small because it's going to hurt her feelings and then I'll fix it and I'll take care of it and then I get found out before I can fix it or I couldn't fix it. And she calls me out on it. She's like, what is this? Like, uh, like a deer in the headlights. I have had to deal with that a lot. And that may seem like something small to you, but it was something for a long time that I just said, you know what, that's just me. It's wrong, but it's just me. And there are lots of other things I deal with all the time, but that is a big one. And now I'm really getting prompted by the Holy Spirit because I pray about it all the time. But there are things that bring us down into here that affect the people around us. And I don't want Monica to feel like she can't trust me or the things that I say aren't true. Just because I feel like I'm trying to take care of her, protect her from something, that's not what she wants. She wants a partner who is straight up honest. Amen. 
And we'll deal with that together. That's what she wants. Not me omitting things and holding on to things. Because here's what, here's what happens. And this is, this is the killer of me. This is how the devil gets me. He makes me feel like I have to handle everything by myself. He makes me feel like I have to handle everything alone. Because I'm going to be embarrassed if I tell you. Because I'm going to be, you're going to think less of me if I tell you. So I hold it all in. And I never, it never gets dealt with. Because I won't talk to anybody about it. And I start living it. And it constantly is nagging and it brings me down because I'm so scared that if I tell somebody that I'm having a problem, they'll think less of me. Or you'll think the things I say up here don't matter or aren't important because I'm dealing with something. It just makes me human. But that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to live an abundant life up here. And if you wonder which one you're living in, look at the fruit you're bearing. That's all you got to do. If you're trying to figure out which one of these you're living in, look at the fruits that you produce for God. Ask somebody else what they think about it, how you live your lifestyle. If you can look at somebody and see the fruits, see the things that are happening, see the transformation that's happening with them, with the people around them, they are all up here. Still dealing with this stuff, but they're doing the things they need to to stay up here, which we're going to talk about in one second, and I'll be done. We need to live up here instead of down here. If you're living down here, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. And I'll tell you exactly how to live up here. And you can see if you're doing those things, you'll know where exactly where you're living. Are you in this? How much of your time do you spend with God or with something that has to do with God? How much time do you spend with him? I'll be honest, I don't spend enough. I spend a whole lot more when I'm preparing for a sermon and sweating through it than any other time, but I don't spend enough time. I don't know that there isn't enough time, but I can tell you I, there's a time where I could say I was spending enough, like a lot more. Like where you could look at me and say, man, he's doing a good job. I don't spend enough time there. I could spend a lot more in here, in prayer, talking to someone. Let me tell you something. If you're me and you've got something going on and you keep that stuff inside, confess it. You've got to. You've got to confess it. I found that if I just say it out loud to someone, Knowing they will not judge me changes my life. If you get that out, it changes your life. Do the things you need to do in here. Get in a group. Thursday night around a campfire, I watched 12 to 15 guys eating big old drumsticks I put on the grill around a campfire just glowing, cold. But just hang 
hanging out, not talking about anything in particular, just talking. But there for the Holy Spirit, for God, a group of people that love Jesus and love each other, lifting each other up, get in a group. And if you think that's not important, we need to talk about that. It is the most important thing you can do is surround yourself with people on a daily basis who believe in God and lift you up in transformation rather than bring you down. It is the most important thing you can do. It will help you live up there. It will help you live that abundant life. It will help you do all the things we're getting ready to talk about. All the things John's going to talk about in the coming future before Christmas. It will help you live that newness of life. Talking to God, getting into this, telling him to help you deal with all this stuff, not dealing with it alone. And I know I'm being a little bit of a downer on a, on a message that's supposed to be full of this. This is coming, okay? I got to get you out of this to get into this so we can live up here and do all this together. So I'm so passionate about getting out of this because I deal with this a lot, but I know how awesome it is to be up here. To have seen the Holy Spirit work in people's lives. To be in a place where there was no Holy Spirit. And now full of the Holy Spirit. And it is effective and powerful. And it works because Jesus died on the cross for us and raised, was raised from the dead. Did something no one else could do. For you and for me. And he allows us to go through that with him. In resurrection. And live a holy life. That's what he wants for us. That is true freedom. A life dead to this stuff, not a spiritual zombie that's walking around alive but still in control with all of this stuff. You can be free of that. You can be free of that together and walk through that. And unless we get up here, everything else will feel less than. Everything else we learn in Romans will feel less than. Unless we're walking up here while we're doing it and we can do that together in the groups, in the study guides, doing this, coming to church on Sunday, all that stuff. Fill your life with God. Let him walk us through up there, not down there. And I'll, I'll close with this. I, I talk about my dad a lot uh, because that was one of the most important things that ever happened to me. And I use him as an example a good bit. And I think I talk about him a lot because it allows me to remember him. And I struggle with that. I struggle with memory in the first place. But I have a hard time sometimes even picturing his face. So when I get up here and talk about him, it allows me to get back in that. But when I spend time that week focusing on that, it can be, it can be a bummer. Because that was a tough part of my life. And losing my dad was one of the toughest things I ever went through. But I will tell you, the real rock star is my mom. And she doesn't get enough credit. And this Thanksgiving, when I was reflecting on things I'm thankful for, I'm thankful the most for her. Because she has spent her entire life taking care of people. That's all she's ever done. 
She lived a really tough childhood with an abusive parents. Somehow came out of that. Met my dad, who, who listen, I love my dad, but he had had a really rough childhood too, and he was emotionless. So she she had to deal with a, a husband who never said, I love you. He definitely showed it in the things he did. Strong Christian man took care of her, but she, she dealt with that. And then she started taking care of us. And immediately, my dad got sick. So she went taking care of herself, taking care of kids, taking care of him while she's taking care of kids. And when I say he got sick, I mean like carrying him around sick. And he was sick for a long time. And then he wasn't sick anymore. Praise God. And then she dealt with two spiraling kids who didn't understand what was going on and who had prayed for miracles and didn't get them and now are questioning everything they could question. And one's going one way and one's going the other. And she's trying to deal with it while holding together her own life as a woman working in the school system dealing with a time in her life where my dad didn't know he was going to die so he was not prepared for it. So she's trying to hold on to a house and hold on to her life and be strong and take care of kids and then she met my pop, my stepdad, Tom, who's one of the greatest people on the planet. And then my grandmother got sick and had dementia and was nuts. Just mean. She had mean dementia. And my mom had to take care of her for a, a long time. And then she passed away. And then my grandfather got sick. And she's taking care of him. Part of that is why I'm even here. We moved back to where we grew up so that we can help take care of him. So here she is taking care of my grandfather. And then he passes away in COVID. And then Tom gets sick. He has to have a knee replacement. And then he has cancer. And then four weeks ago, he had triple bypass surgery. And a week later, my mom, who has had to, I mean, just, she's a strong person. I wish I had half of her. That is her gift. Her gift is taking care of me. She had some tests of her own. And she did what nobody should do. She got those test results before the doctor could talk to her, and she Googled it. And at dinner a week ago, we found out that the Wittermaker valve in her heart is 70% clogged. And they found two nodules in her lungs. And I saw somebody who 
I have known all my life to be the person that, that needed me, that took care of me. Every time I needed something, I called home to mom. She came running. Who was taking care of all these people, stood across from a table for me. say things like they're in the process of moving because they can't take care of the house they have now so they're moving to another place where things will be taken care of for them a little bit more a smaller house <laughs> they're getting ready to start that and I heard things like maybe I won't even have to worry about it hmm. and part of me got angry because I'm thinking how could you say something person who has been strong my entire life and picked everybody else up when they were down. And I went home and I, I was frustrated. And guess what? I just saw my mom be human for a second. She still deals with stuff down here. Even though as long as I've known her, she's been up here. And I sat and I said, God, whatever you need me to be, whatever you need me to do, I always told you I would take care of her until the day she dies, and I'm not going to stop. Because what she needs is people who have been transformed, who can come beside her and pick her up and lift her up and take care of her as a community. And if we're not living up here, we can't be prepared to do that. The Carolina Family Church, if we're not up here, we call ourselves a family. And families pick each other up when they're down. And they pick up the weight when someone else has lost it. When they can't carry it anymore, a family picks that up. And this Thanksgiving, I want to challenge you that if somebody in your family is down, pick them up. Be thankful that you have it. Be thankful you have this family. If you see somebody struggling, reach out and pick them up and show them that we are transformed. That we don't live that life anymore. We're not controlled by this. And I told my mom, no matter what happens, God's got it. You've known that your whole life. You've been the one picking people up. Let us pick you up. And I don't know what's going to happen with her. But I know that she needs someone who knows because she's always been the one. Now it's my turn. Be this person for somebody. Understand the transformation that happened because of this. And live in that. Stop living in this. The second, we're going to sing God is Love, which is one of my favorite songs. It talks about just about God loves us no matter what. Even though we're all of this, God loves us. He doesn't care. He did this so that we could live with him. And then John's going to come up and we're going to sing it. He's going to tell you all the things I did wrong. And then Jess is going to come up and tell you all the things John did wrong. But we're going to get it worked out because we're a family. We do things together, right? We pick each other up. So I'm going to pray. If there's somebody in your life while I'm praying that you can think of that has got something going on. That needs something, needs some reason to be thankful this season. To make Thanksgiving great again in their life. You can make that happen. That's what we do. 
It's what the Family Center does. That's what Carolina Family Church does. When people are down, we pick them up. Somebody around you needs to be picked up. They need to be picked up by someone who understands all of this. Pick them up. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for allowing me the chance to be here. Thank you for the challenges you have given me in my life. And for my mom, thank you for her for always being there to hold me up, even though it's a lot of times I fall. Thank you for allowing me to grow through those. Thank you for the things you have put in front of me, challenges that you've asked me to come through, learning so that I can tell other people about that and lift them up at the same time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this family. Thank you for allowing me to be in a place that I know that no matter what, you guys got it. You got me. I've got you. We're together. And when people come in here looking for something, because they will, because the world is crashing all around them and they are dying and they need something and they see those doors and they walk through it and they come in here and they see us and they see us living our best life, they will want it. And I will be there standing there. Come on. Come on. I got it. Lord, if there's a sin that we are dealing with, work on it. So there's something that has been in our life for far too long and it has numbed your voice. If it is causing us to have issues upon issue, that so we're so dead to it now that we can't even see the stuff that it's causing in our lives and the people around us. Wake your spirit up. Wake your voice back up. Keep talking to us. Let us be with love you. We thank you for all the things you